Great, if you could be drawing your attention back to the front, that would be brilliant. Please do stay around afterwards to join us for tea and coffee so we can get to know you a bit better. That would be great. I'm just going to adjust the stand. My name's Dan. I'm part of the leadership team here at the church. It's great to have you with us this morning. I'm sorted. By now, you'll probably notice that our, um, our building has not been its normal self over the past uh, couple of months. Um, we're in, embarking on a full electrical rewire. If you're new here, the look of wires hanging down from the ceiling is not a deliberate choice that we've made. It's not sort of an industrial kind of look. Um, we are having a rewire, and um, every wire in the building is being replaced. Um, every uh, new sockets in every single room. There is a new fire alarm, a new intruder system, new CCTV cameras, new emergency lighting, and it's been a, a huge job. There's been tons and tons of workmen on this site every day, uh, working recently in some incredible heats. And if you walk in the building, um, it appears like it's chaos. Who's been into the building during the week at all? over the last few weeks. It's, it's chaos, isn't it? You walk in, you're like, what, what has gone on? And, um, and you think it's chaos, but actually, each workman is working to a very fine plan. Because for each room, what we have is we have one of these. We have multiple versions of these. So this one is showing the first floor, and it is showing exactly where we want our sockets. So we have a very fine plan for every single room, um, probably about 15 of these. And everyone is working to this plan. So although it seems like chaos, they all have their areas to make sure that the finished product comes about. And Jesus, um, in the book of Matthew and Luke, he says that we are like workmen. We are like builders. And that our lives are like that of buildings. And that as we build our life, we have a choice whether we follow the plan that Jesus has for our life or we follow our own plan. Because you see, we all follow a plan. You know, whether you, uh, you that might be you want to achieve happiness through a relationship and your life is somehow going to feel incomplete until you have a husband or a wife. Or maybe that plan is, you know, the perfect picture of a family, you know, large house, wife and three children, car parts on a large driveway. Maybe it's a, a career, maybe it is a certain amount of money in your bank account, or maybe it is a certain lifestyle. We all have this plan. You know, whether it seems big to you or not, it is still a plan, how you would like things to work out. And as we build, what Jesus invites us to do is make a choice about whether we want to follow his design, his plan for our life. And over the next few months, we're going to be looking at the book of Genesis. It's found right at the front of your Bibles. And it tells the story of God's creation. The word Genesis means origins or beginnings. And we're going to look at how it all started. But then we're also going to look at what then was God's plan for those people, those he created. And we are going to study the first uh, 12 chapters of Genesis. And we are going to see that by embracing God's plan for our lives... We will find life in its fullness and as God always intended. Now, I think for all of us, whether, you're a, a, whether you describe yourself as a Christian or not, whether you know your Bibles or not, we all have some familiarity with the story of Genesis. We all kind of understand a little bit. If I was to say that God created the, the world in seven days, you might remember something of your IRE lesson or there'd be something familiar with that. Or if I was to say 
uh, God created Adam and Eve, there would be some familiarity with the story. And as soon as I say, we're going to be sharing from Genesis, for many of you, you're already going to have a lot of questions in your mind. And I'm really sorry to, to disappoint you, but for many of those questions you've got, we're actually not going to engage with them on a Sunday. And, and you might have lots of, lots of questions about, well, how does the words we're going to read in the Bible interact with modern day science? That might be your question. You might have questions about uh, evolution. You might have questions about the, the age of the earth. Whenever we talk about tough questions with our young people, um, I get them to write out questions, and I guarantee there is always one, normally ten, what about dinosaurs? That might be your question. You might say, oh, well, okay, the Bible talks about this, but what about dinosaurs? And we're not primarily going to look at these issues because actually we don't believe that they're the issues that the writer of this book is looking to answer. They're not his primary concerns, but we do realize they're big questions. So we don't want to go, oh, you know, dinosaurs and the age of the earth and evolution and what science says. You know, just forget about that. Jesus. No, we don't want to do that. So what we want to do is we want to, we're going to have a, a special evening on Sunday, the 29th of September. If you've got a diary on your phone or you've got a paper diary, some people still have, put it in your diary. 29th of September, 6 p.m. here at Jubilee. We're going to have a time just to, to look at and explore those topics uh, around the story of creation and then have a time for discussion and questions and answers. And hopefully it's going to be really helpful for us to get how do we as Christians engage with some of these questions. So the reason we're not going to engage on a Sunday is because we don't believe that is the, quest, the questions that the writer of Genesis is trying to ask, answer. He's not trying to answer questions like, how did it all start, or what about dinosaurs? Instead, the writer is passionate and his focus is on God. He's more likely trying to answer questions like, what is God like? Why should I follow him? Can I trust him? The writer is passionate about God, and that is going to be our focus. And so with that in mind, oh, Andy, do you want to pop down? We're going to read um, today. We're going to start, and I want us to give a big picture. So we're going to read quite a lengthy bit of scripture. And Andy, so Andy's going to read it because he's got a much nicer voice than me. Um, Rubbish. So we're going to read the first chapter of Genesis. And what's going to happen is I'm going to cover some of it today. Josh is going to pick up some of, the, some of it next week. But I want us to get a... Just a really big picture. And as Andy reads the first chapter of Genesis, I want you to consider the question, what is God like? Go for it, Andy. Sorry, yeah. Are we good? Are we good? You good? We good. All right, great. Excuse my southern accent. Um, for those who can't understand, we'll translate afterwards. So Genesis 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault, the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, 
and gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then he said, let the land produce vegetation, seeds bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the night, separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. And he also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give the light on earth to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth, across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living thing with which the water teems, and that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas. And let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals. And over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with, with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that he had, God saw that he had made it. And it was very good. There was evening. There was morning. The sixth day. Yeah, it's a long passage. Give me a round of applause. The, the Bible tells us that the, that the Word of God is alive and active. And so when we read it, we believe it has power to, to change us. We believe it has power to transform us. And, and really, I'm, I have one task for the rest of this morning. My, my one task is, is to give you a bigger picture of who God is. That's my one task. Um, the, the, graciously, I think God's going to do more than that, but that's, that's my task. And... Um, feels like it's been a slightly chaotic morning for me. So 
I'm going to pray just for my benefit, but if you join me in prayer, that would be great. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that we can engage with it. We thank you that it's even translated so we can understand it. And Lord, I just pray as I open up these words that you would, you would encounter us, you would change us, that we would leave here with a bigger view of who you are, a bigger expectation of what you're able to do, a bigger excitement about what is to come. Lord, I just pray you would speak through me and I pray that you would give us ears to, to hear your word being spoken and hearts to receive it. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So if the author's focus is on God, what does this chapter teach us about God? Firstly, I, I think it, teach, it teaches us that God was there in the beginning. How did it all begin? Why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there order rather than chaos? And we find the answer right at the start of this chapter, in the beginning, God. The Bible begins with God. It's very simple. It doesn't try and uh, convince us that God exists. It doesn't feel it needs to. It simply informs us that in the beginning, God. There was nothing before God. There was nothing rivaling God. There was God. Then throughout the pages of Scripture, there is this story of God revealing himself to his people. Too often we can make God seem like he can be an add-on to our lives. You know, if you want a bit of God, if you want to respond to God, if you want God in your life, uh, help you in a time of need, then that's great. Or, yeah, if, if, if God helps you, then that's good for you, but it's not for me. You know, I, I, you, you do your God thing on a Sunday, and then the rest of the week will we'll be, we'll be the same, and then on a Sunday you can be different again. Adding God to our lives has never been an option. God was there in the beginning. There is this encounter that Moses has in, and we read about it in Exodus 3, and Moses asks God God's name, and, and God replies to him and he says, I am who I am. No explanation needed. There has only ever been one God. He wasn't created by anything or anyone. And this is really important for us as we approach this series because it grounds God's authority to say and do whatever he likes. He is the only source of all creation, and therefore he is in control and he is sovereign. You know, so adding God to our lives isn't an option. He is in control, he gives, and he takes away. The option he does give us is whether we choose to submit to him or whether we choose to walk away. But even if we choose to walk away from his rule, it doesn't stop him being in control and having authority over everything, including us. So as we approach scripture, we don't pick and choose what we like. We don't choose the things that make it easy. No, God has spoken and he has authority. We don't need to try and excuse God. We simply submit to him. God is there in the beginning. Secondly, we find that God is eternal. If God is, in the, is there in the beginning, it makes sense that he is eternal. There was never a time when God didn't exist and there never will be. Matthew 24, 35 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. God is there in the beginning, he is eternal, and we see that God is creator. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. If you want to know what authority God has this morning, read those verses. The earth was formless and void, but then God spoke, 
Genesis 1, it tells us 10 times, if you were counting as Andy was reading, 10 times it said that God said, and then as a result, it informs us it was so. There's no struggle, there's no sweat, there's no exertion, there's no hard work to create the world. He decides, he speaks, it is so. And for the initial hearers who were reading this, that that would have been in stark contrast to the other stories of creation. There was many different stories going around. There were stories of God striving to make things happen. There were stories of battles and cosmic battles, fights to bring things into existence. For example, the, the ancient Mesopotamians. Did I say that right? Yes, I've been practicing that. The ancient Mesopotamians, say it twice because I did it, um, they believed that there was this cosmic battle of epic proportions. It's like, almost seems like a bit of marvel about it. Between uh, two forces, Epsu and Tiamat. And their allies, they go to war. And the final part of the creation story is that, that Tiamat's husband gets killed and that his body was used to create the earth and his blood was used to create mankind. Can you see how these stories that were going around are so different from the story that we read in Genesis 1? For our God, creation was easy and without conflict. God decided and it happens. The writer of Psalm 115 captures this in verse 3 and he says, Our God is in heaven, he does all he pleases. And so we read about this incredible creation that God made. We read about the light and the stars and the skies, the lands, the plants, the animals, mankind. And as I said, God doesn't try and persuade you that he exists. That's not what the Bible does. But I think in creation, he presents a fairly compelling argument. Who likes watching David Attenborough nature programs? They're great, aren't they? I love them. I watch them. I just get stunned with how amazing creation is. It declares the beauty of God. Whether it's an incredible animal whether it's a beautiful sunrise, whether it's a newborn baby, creation is designed to make us marvel at the beauty of God. Psalm 19.1 puts it this way, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hand. Romans 1 verse 20 says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. God doesn't argue his existence, but this passage tells us that in creation we see who God is. You know, experts, they tell us that there's at least uh, 100 billion stars in space. You know, I love being out of the city at night. And you know when you look up at the stars and initially you just see the the closest stars and then as your eyes focus, you can see a little bit further and then you can see a little bit further and yet you know that you are only seeing a tiny proportion of what is out there. Do you have that feeling when you just feel dwarfed by it? And yet, in Genesis 1, in the story of creation, two Hebrew words are used. In our translation it says... He also made the stars. If I was God, I think I would spend a little more time boasting about the stars. Would you? I'd be like, guys, I made the stars. That was me. Let's, let's talk about this some more. Let me describe the stars to you. Let me tell you about stars that you don't even know about. Let me tell you about, create, about things that are in existence that you'll find eventually. You might never find. No, no, he says he also made the stars. It's like a tag on. Such is our God's power that even the stars are a little thing compared to his power. 
The Bible begins with this mighty declaration that God is God and we are not. God is the creator and we are his creatures. That is the big picture. And so if God is creator, then it follows on, fourthly, that God is in control. You know, he doesn't simply create and then leave us to it. There is this, there's a book um, in the book of Job. We find this man, surprisingly called Job, and he is having a hard time. Life is not going well for him. He has some friends who are less than helpful in the situation, and he starts to accuse God. And God responds in chapter 38 and 39 of the book of Job. And I don't have time to read it all, but I would really encourage, if you've got some time this afternoon, read chapters 38 and 39. They give us this incredible picture of who God is. But it starts this way, and it says, Then the the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you? When I laid the foundations of the earth. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined the measurements? Surely you know. God's getting a little bit sarcastic there, I'd say. A bit of sass from God in those verses. Because then then, um, God is in control and he shows Job he knows exactly what he is doing. And Job responds a couple of chapters later in chapter 42. And he says that Job answered the Lord and he said, I know you can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. You know, Job realises that God is in control. But this control is not one of a dictator, but one of a loving father. We see this throughout scripture. We see that this is true. God, because of his love for us, he allows us free will. He allows us the ability to choose our own way. And yet even when we do, he is gracious, he saves us, he forgives us, he restores us. Now that might raise a number of questions for you. You know what, if if God is in control, why does the world seem such a mess? Why do bad things happen? And the Bible, I wish it made it easy for us and gave us just an explanation. That would make it really easy for me to stand and say, I know the answer. The Bible does talk about sometimes it's our own sinful nature that causes these things to happen. Causes hardship for ourselves or for those around us. I'm sure we all have stories of that, how that's even happened this week. But there is also this story in the book of John that confronts us with the fact that, that hardships are not always caused by our sin. John 9, um, 1-3 says, As he passed, this talking about Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that, that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus here is saying that God doesn't cause suffering. It's really important. God doesn't cause suffering. But he sometimes allows his children to go through suffering so that his power can be demonstrated. And here in the story, Jesus goes on to heal the blind man and his power is shown. However, for many of us here, we are in the midst of difficulties. We are in the midst of pain and illness and God is yet to deliver us. You know, we live in this tension that God is in control. He can do whatever he pleases, yet for whatever reason, he has chosen to not yet do so. But in the creation story, as we see God is in control, we find hope. 
God isn't trying to grab, wrestle control off someone else. God isn't like, oh, this got out of control quickly. God isn't panicking about what's happened with his creation. No, he is in control. And as, as we see the creation story and then we read through scripture that God is orchestrating all events, then you can trust him and you can trust his purposes for your life. The creation story then presents fifthly that God is, is the only God there's no other rival God, as some stories present. There is, this, there is the idea of a sovereign God that is not that controversial. You know, other religions, Islam, for example, they present this uh, monotheistic view that there is one God who created the universe and sustains it. That's not that controversial. However, what is controversial with Christianity, and we see it in the creation story and in Genesis, is it gives us hints of the Trinity. As Christians, we believe that God is the Father Almighty, creators of the heavens and the earth, as the Apostles' Creed puts it. But we also believe that God is Trinitarian, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, the, the passage we read, it doesn't talk about God in those terms, but I think we see the hints as we see God as creator. We see the Spirit hovering over the water, and we see the Word going out to create. The same word is spoken about in John 1 when it talks about Jesus, the word becoming flesh to be with us. Colossians 1, 15 to 17 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. You know, this is so important because if Jesus isn't present at creation, then he becomes a created being. If he's not there at the start, then he must have been created. And therefore, he would be unable to come to earth and live a perfect life and die in our place, taking our punishment on himself so that we could be in relationship with God again. But he was there in the beginning. That's what we read about. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect union, enjoying relationship and creating together. And as we see Jesus in creation, you see the beauty of the gospel. We don't read our Bibles and just wait. Oh, well, Jesus gets there in the New Testament. No, throughout the Old Testament, throughout Genesis, we see Jesus. We see the gospel being outworked. We see the beauty of our Saviour. That, that God would become man, that he would live on earth in our place, dying in our place. Jesus, as we read the Old Testament, as we read Genesis, Jesus, you're even better than I thought you were. It draws us into worship. And as we see the Father, Son, and Spirit together in the first pages of Scripture, we are reminded that Scripture, the Bible, is not about us. You know, so often... We pick up our Bibles hoping that God is going to speak to us. You know, I'm hoping that God will bring me comfort in that moment. Hoping that I, he'll give me some guidance in the decision I've got to make. We come to church and we approach the sermon with a chance. Let's, let's hear a life lesson from the page of Scripture. Now, the Bible does do these things. But the chief purpose of Scripture is to reveal the beauty of God through Jesus Christ. It's a bit like wedding photos. Flora, I've seen her here. Flora, wave, you can wave. Next Saturday, Flora gets married. Woo! 
And I have no doubt that if you are on Facebook, your Facebook feed Saturday evening is going to be full of pictures. And if you are one of those people going to the wedding, you might even see pictures of yourself. It would be foolish when you get home from the wedding on Saturday evening to start posting pictures saying, look at me at Flora's wedding. Don't I look beautiful? It would be foolish because you realise the photo is not about you. The reason for the photo is Flora and Raymond. This is a picture of my wedding day. Aww. This is a photo which captures a moment between Rachel and I. It would be foolish if my mum, who is on the bottom right, <laughs> it would be foolish if she cut us out of the photo, blew it up and put it on a wall. Because the photo isn't about her. It would be foolish, and, but sometimes we read our Bibles as if we are in the middle of the story. We read it as though we see God working through creation. Now my mum, who's about to be cut off by Nathaniel M. <laughs> now, it is true that my mum is there. Would you agree my mum was at my wedding? Yeah, would you agree? It is true, she is there. And when we read scripture, it is true. We are there. He created us, male and female, he created us. We are there. But we're not the point of the story. It would be foolish if you read, if, you, if you're a new Christian, you take this Bible home today and you read the whole of Scripture, and then next week you come back and say, oh, it's amazing, I'm everywhere. He created me, and I'm here, and I'm there, and I'm there, and he says he loves me, and he says all this stuff. Great. Some of that stuff is true. You are there. He did create you, but you are not the point of this story. As we see God working in creation, we are reminded that we are there. He did create us, but we don't marvel at how amazing we are. No, we marvel at how amazing God is. And that gives us a really healthy perspective. You can take that picture off onto the next one. As we see God in all his power, we realize actually in comparison to God, we're not that important. Some of you need to know that today. You're not that important. But then as we realize that we're not that important, we are reminded that God created us and he loves us deeply. And so to him, we're incredibly important. It creates this awe. God, you're amazing. And this security, you love me. And it's a wonderful place to live. Finally, we see that God is good. God saw all that he made and it was very good. Hopefully this won't be a spoiler for any of you, but over the next few weeks, we're going to find out that things did not stay very good. But here, in this moment, God's creation is perfect. Some of you, you just need to know that today that God is good. I don't know what you believe about God, but you need to know that his creation was perfect, his ways are perfect, and he is good. His justice is perfect. His righteousness is beautiful. He grieves over our sin, yet his love is abounding. His judgment is sweetened with mercy, and he's slow to fall. If we live doubting God's goodness, what happens is our faith only gets stronger if the outcome gets better. If you get that job, you trust God more. 
If you get healed, you believe he exists. If you see him working, if your life moves in the right direction, then you feel closer to him and you feel stronger in your faith. But if you know that God is good, then you know he can only do good. So if things are not going good now, you can trust but that by the time he has finished with them, he will have worked all things together for the good of those who love him. You know, we live in a world which is malfunctioning. It is not how God designed it to be, but that is not how the story ends. There is a new creation to come. Isaiah 65, 17 says, See, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. This ultimate plan was a new creation. Not just you and me becoming Christians, but that the end is a creation which is totally good, which will never be threatened by evil or by harm. All the imperfections of the old earth will be gone. And so as we look at this plan, as we look at God's plan in Genesis, I hope it's going to stir us about living out that plan now. Bringing his kingdom to earth, living as his ambassadors, showing people what it looks like when God's kingdom comes, when he is ruling and him reigning. But we also need to know today that that plan will only see its full fulfillment when Christ returns and makes all things new. Hopefully this will give us hope. This will excite us and this will help fix our eyes on eternity and all that God has in store for us. I wonder if the band would come back. Would you stand with me? If you've got children, now is a great time to go and collect them. Because we're going to... Because I want to read to you something as we go back into worship. There is a God's plan. We see it starting in Genesis and we see it come into its climax in the book of Revelation. And Hopefully, as I've spoken, you've just had this picture painted of a God who is incredibly awesome, yet draws near to us and loves us. And there is a promise over those who have put their trust in Jesus that we will be there when he creates this new heavens and this new earth. And it, it says in Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, dressed as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place, sorry, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. And he who was seated on a throne said, I am making everything new. Then said, write this down for these words are trustworthy. He said to me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the first year I'll give water without cost from the spring of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this and will be, I will be their God and they will be my children. In Genesis, we see God creating. In Revelation, we see the climax. 
this beautiful picture of who God is. And as we worship God, there is a chance for us again to engage with our Creator. Over the month of September, we're going to spend time encountering God because that is the beauty, is He is worthy of all our worship. If we turn up for every meeting during the whole of September and all we do is talk about how wonderful God is, that's still not enough for God. He's so worthy. Yet the delight is that we know he promises he's going to draw near to us as well. And even as we worship, I believe God is wanting to give us a big picture again of who God is. Maybe you're not believing that he is good. I believe God is wanting to minister to you. Maybe you're in the midst of difficulties right now. I believe you need that reminder that there is going to be no more mourning, no more death, no more sickness, no more crying. God will create. God, will, God is good for his promises. So we're going to worship God. Um, I don't know about you, but when I hear about what God's done in all of creation, it makes me want to worship him. So let's worship him.